the whole process of being open about this has just opened up everything. And there was a time in 2021 when I know I was thinking, hey, maybe this whole thing is my brain telling me that I shouldn't be a lawyer anymore because maybe it's just too stressful or I'm not cut out for it. And right now I'm really enjoying the lawyering part of it. Started my firm's blockchain and digital assets group and working with all sorts of fun emerging technologies, like all the reasons that I went into law working with startup companies. And I don't think it's an accident that I'm actually having fun lawyering at the same time that I'm being like very open and spending time on this other issue because being open about that thing, they feed each other. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Our guest today is a partner at Wigan and Dana and the founder of Lawyering Wild Human, an organization whose focus is to promote support for lawyers and law students through their mental health and wellness services. He is also an adjunct professor at NYU Law and the director of special projects at the Goodman Project. Please welcome our next lawyer who leads, Mike Kasdan. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thrilled to be here. As I'm sure you already know, at the beginning of every interview, I ask for a bit of gratitude that also allows me to get a little slice of your life. So if you could provide me with your favorite moment so far today. Yeah, I think I was thinking about this morning as it was happening because I knew we were speaking later today. But over the weekend in my little town called Maplewood, New Jersey, we had this music festival called Maplewood Stack, and I heard this great band. And so my best part of my day so far was just blasting the new music that I learned of over the weekend while on my way to work out. I'm not going to lie and say it was the workout, but that little piece of time was pretty awesome. There's nothing like rocking out in your car, especially in the summer, right? I just, I love that (laughs) so much. Awesome. I am very excited to get into it. So let's begin. If you can briefly explain to me your lawyer origin story, how did it all start for you? So I do come from a family of lawyers. We didn't all start out that way. My mom started out as a teacher. My dad started as a physicist, but they both became lawyers. And I've always been interested in technology. And I had an opportunity to actually be a paralegal at the firm my dad worked for when he made that mid-career switch to law. And that kind of got me interested in intellectual property law. I studied electrical engineering, but always thought that it would be fun to be in technology law. And yeah, that, that's what I did. I took a couple of years off, did some technology consulting, and then I went to law school and then got the best law firm job that I could and away we went. Did you go back to your father's firm or did you go somewhere else? No, I actually didn't. I wanted to do my own thing. So when I graduated, I actually clerked for a judge in Delaware because they had a lot of patent litigations and I thought that would be fun. And then I worked for not my dad's firm. He was at a boutique, although eventually we did practice together. My first job was at Kirkland and Ellis. I went off my own sort of big law experience and I would call and talk to my dad about it. And eventually I did make a move a number of years later to work at the boutique firm that he worked at and we worked there together. What was it like to work with your dad? I actually really like it. I think we complement each other really well. He's really technically smart and in, in some ways he's very deliberative when asked questions, 
And a lot of times I want to move really fast. And so I think we average out to a team that really works. And it's always, yeah, it's always worked pretty well. I thought it might be strange. The weirdest part is not calling him dad at work. I have to call him Abe. But aside <laughs> from that, it's been great. And are you still working with him today? Yeah, we work together at Wigan and Dana, which is my current firm. And, and yeah, I still really enjoy that. And, and I don't think about how rare that is sometimes, but it is really a cool thing. What would you say are some of the biggest things that you've learned working alongside your father? Wow. I think for me, the thing that always blew me away about my dad, no matter where I was in terms of my age or educational level, was the ability to not try and memorize everything, but be able to actually figure things out, be able to derive things. It's a very sciencey kind of attitude. But I like not having to just cram a bunch of stuff in your brain and just basically being like, okay, I can figure that out from basic principles. I think that's one of my big takeaways from my dad. My dad is also really straightforward and honest. And I think having credibility as a person, as a lawyer, as an adult, I think is a really important thing. And I try to pass that on to my students and people I mentor, but that's definitely something I learned from my dad. Awesome. Well, you're very well known in the legal industry. Speaking about mental health, being really human-centric and the legal practice of law. Where does that all come from? Yeah, I was late developing in a lot of ways. I went to college. I did the best I knew how. I was always pretty good at school. And I did the same thing in law school. And I think without a lot of thought, I just plunged ahead. And then thinking and being more deliberative about life came a little bit later. I guess that's just part of growing up. But for me, my journey with things outside of law, mental health being one of those things, but also getting involved in issues relating to social justice and larger issues that are going on in the world, I realized that I wasn't really feeding the part of my brain that wanted to engage with those things necessarily in my job as an IP lawyer. And so I looked outside of my job for those types of experiences. And I think one really formative experience with that was connecting to a media company called the Good Men Project, which I've been involved with for over 10 years now. And that's where I do and did a lot of writing on all sorts of topics outside of the law. And I used to keep them very separate. Why is that? It, it's interesting because I used to think, especially when I was a young lawyer, that if people realized that I was doing all this stuff outside of law, people go like, why aren't you building more hours? Why aren't you writing briefs? Like, why are you writing about these things? Turns out that wasn't really the right way to look at it because I think it, it grew me in, in, in a lot of different ways. And I think also it grew skills that I use in the law. And years later, I realized that a lot of the conversation we were having at the Good Men Project was the same conversation that we were trying to bring into our workplace in terms of diversity and equity and inclusion. And it was also the same type of conversation that we were starting to see more in the workplace in terms of mental health and well-being. But my, the mental health and well-being piece is I come to that from a very personal place because I experienced depression for literally the first time in my life when I was 35 years old as a young partner, having really never even thought about it, engaged with the topic at all. And so it was pretty debilitating when it happened. And I started thinking about it and writing about it. And, and eventually it took a long time, but last year started this initiative called Lawyering While Human. That's about mental health and well-being in the law. But yeah, the journey to mental health and being an advocate, I came to that through a personal experience. When you started to experience this, what were some of the signs that you were getting depressed? Because 
I think it's important for our listeners to understand what those could look like and whether they apply to them. Yeah, I'm really comfortable talking about it now because one of the things I realized is that a lot of people feel this way, but not too many people talk about it. When I finally worked up the the fortitude to to share about it with people that were close to me, no, no one was surprised, right? Everyone was like, oh, that, that's depression. I experienced that, but nobody was talking about it. And so for me, and I think it is very personal and to me, I'm sure it feels differently for different people. But for me, I'm usually a pretty frenetic person. I like to move pretty fast and engage in lots of ways with lots of people and ideas. And for me, it just all slowed down to a halt. It felt like paralysis. It felt like I couldn't make decisions. And I felt like my brain was just overthinking everything and framing everything in disaster, which caused me to just do nothing. So I would go to work and I would say, and I would get an email and I was like, if I respond this way, this thing will happen. And if I respond this other way, this other thing will happen. And both of those things seemed overwhelming in that mental state. And so I would do nothing. So you can't really do that for very long at a job or in life without things stacking up. And that's what happened very quickly. I also felt very antisocial, like not just wanting to isolate. I was having a hard time sleeping, like waking up at that four o'clock hour where nobody wants to be awake. Like nothing happy seems to ever happen then. So trouble sleeping, wanting to not get out of bed in the morning. Those were some of the signs for me. Yeah. The trouble sleeping and the four o'clock in the morning stuff is, I've definitely been there. It is a tough place to be in for sure. What was the catalyst for starting to make a change in your life? Yeah. I mean, for me, the catalyst was I had to because it wasn't sustainable and I needed to figure out how to get myself back. And I was used to thinking my way through everything and there just being a logical way to do that. And when your brain betrays you and you're used to that, it can be hard. And so for me, I was just really lucky. Like I had really good family support. My parents, my brother, my sister, they were there every day helping me do basic things that I couldn't do to clear bandwidth, get me out of the, all the obligations that I have by helping me to send emails that I couldn't send by myself, like very basic stuff. And also I saw a therapist for the first time. I saw a doctor about these issues for the first time and started to also to, to realize that there was some stuff there to, that needed processing. What kind of stuff, if you don't mind me asking, what kind of stuff needed to be processed? It's a complex mix, right? Like why this happens to people. It's stress and it's stuff in life. And it's also the way that you are. People have I think certain learned behaviors that might not necessarily be the most healthy way. So just that experience of learning how to process and learning the value of that and starting to talk to other people about it and starting to write about it for me was really helpful, but it wasn't a straight line by any means. It was a long period of time where for most of the time I would feel really good and feel myself. And then I would have a period of time it may be a lot of stress going on or something hard going on in life, work stress, personal stress at the same time. But I had moments through the years where, you know, even though I was aware of what was happening, I would be back in that place. And so for me, it was this long journey, but part of it was learning about myself and trying to integrate like some techniques into my life that I think did and do help me. And then for me to speak out on this issue and actually try to lead in the field of law. Let's actually talk about that for a second. What was the catalyst specifically for you to start leading in law as it relates to mental health? The catalyst for that was 
I had a recurrence during that awful year of 2021 when we were COVID quarantined and isolated and the state of the world was hyper traumatic. And when I looked around, I started to see other people having this conversation, met some community, ended up writing an article for American Lawyer, just being very open about it, because by that point, it had been like 10 years. I had a lot of time to get comfortable with talking about it. And, and that experience of just talking really openly about it was really wonderful in a lot of ways, because people I knew, a lot of people I didn't know, and meeting those people and realizing that we have similar stories and that a lot of people are feeling this way and that by sharing about it and talking about it, even though it's the opposite of what we are culturally trained to do or had been trained to do, it's really a great way forward. What I realized is that it's also really aligned with doing good business. Say more about that. In the end, all of our organizations, whether it's a law firm or a corporation, but we're our people. And I've spent a lot of time working in a field that focuses on innovation, innovation and service. In the end, we're selling our brains. And if we're not taking care of our brains, then, you know, that's bad business. So with all of this experience that you've had, all of this work that you've done, what are some things from a preventative point of view? If you could give yourself some advice, let's say 20 years ago, what's some advice that you would give to prevent or mitigate some mm. of the things that you went through? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think when I give that advice, I do it realizing that it took me such a long period of time. And in some ways, it's so much easier for me to speak out now than for a young person entering the field, trying to fit in, trying to do the job. But with that, that said, I think that in terms of advice and preventative care, I always think about it on at least two levels. So certainly there are individual techniques, like things that I learned. What do you do? What's your daily practice that's helpful? But I think the second level is also like a cultural organizational level, because I think no matter what you do individual, if you're in an organization or a culture or an institution that isn't aligned with good mental health, it's not going to be sustainable. So I'm focusing on change in both of those places, organizations changing, and also, of course, trying to share what I've learned and, and continuing to learn in terms of individual techniques. Can you share some examples of what those individual techniques are? So for me, individual techniques that have been effective, much to my surprise, mindfulness, which I used to just roll my eyes at and think was just this weird Eastern thing. And I was like, oh, that's just meditation. And that's about slowing down. And I don't like slowing down. I like all the balls up at the same time. And I like multitasking. And so that's not for me. But I think thinking about that differently, really trying to be in the moment in terms of what can control rather than worrying about the past or worrying about the present, which aligns with when you clinicize it, like depression or anxiety. So I think mindfulness, not necessarily in a meditation kind of way, but I think that I'm more intentional about the way my brain is working and more aware of it. And if I need to take a break and kind of reframe how I'm thinking about something, I can do that better than I used to do. It's, I think, a lifelong work in progress, but that's one thing. The other thing that, that I think really works for me, it's a little bit more, I don't know, it's like more subtle, but I think recognizing that there's great power in the way we frame things and the way our brain frames things. Because literally when I was depressed, my brain was in a depressive state. It was framing things in a way that everything was hopeless and terrible. 
in such a way that I literally couldn't even move. And that's incredibly powerful. But there's also a positive side to it. So I think trying to learn, hey, you can actually harness that sort of if you're thoughtful about how you frame things. And that can be very powerful. As negative as it is, I think you can also be positive. So those are two things. And also exercise is something that I never really took that seriously, but I know it really helps getting out and exercising. But also just the whole process of being open about this has just opened up everything. And there was a time in 2021 when I know I was thinking, hey, maybe this whole thing is my brain telling me that I shouldn't be a lawyer anymore because maybe it's just too stressful or I'm not cut out for it. And right now I'm really enjoying the lawyering part of it. Started my firm's blockchain and digital assets group and working with all sorts of fun emerging technologies, like all the reasons that I went into law, right? Working with startup companies and thinking about fun, fun ideas like AI. And I don't think it's an accident that I'm actually having fun lawyering at the same time that I'm being like very open and spending time on this other issue because being open about that thing, they feed each other. And it really contextualizes lawyering while human. You are lawyering now while human. I am trying. And the other thing that I think about is judgment. And I feel like there are things that I learned in therapy, in outpatient programs that I apply every day that are really powerful. Like I had group therapy for the first time in 2021 and just the recognition of how judgmental we are and that we are our own worst judge with ourselves. And the reason that group therapy, I think, can be so powerful is because you find yourself saying things to other people when they're going through a tough time or something happened that I think if it were yourself, you would be giving yourself a hard time. So I think trying to be more aware of the judging nature of ourselves and trying to like take it easy on ourselves and keep things in perspective is another thing that's really worked for me. One of the tactics that I try to use is I try to remind and try to reframe my thinking and say to myself, you're doing the best you can and be proud that you're doing the best that you can. Being proud of the effort that you're putting in, whether that's going out and putting yourself out there and trying to make friends and it doesn't work out. Well, you know what? I put the best part out of me and I'm proud of doing that for myself. That wasn't easy for me and I did it anyway. Wasn't the result I was looking for, but that doesn't matter because I am proud of the thing that I did in that moment. And it's powerful. It's not easy, but it's pretty powerful. And also talk to ourselves as if we we had that inner child, a five-year-old Mike or five-year-old Seagal that was sitting there and you're treating yourself like a child and being like, you did great. It's it awesome. It can be powerful. It's actually surprising to me how powerful some of that stuff is. And, yeah. and it's also interesting because there was definitely a time in my life, probably not too long ago, where if I heard something like that or tried to say to myself, you did your best and that is enough. There's a part of me that would be like, come on, like it's not enough. You have to win. And I know there's lots of positivism out there and sometimes it doesn't quite fit sometimes it's too much but i think there really is something saying look this is what i can control for today and this is where i'm at and it is good enough and there are practices that people use like that like the practice of gratitude like i don't do it every day but trying to write down a couple things that i'm grateful for at the end of my day because otherwise i'm making a list of all the things i didn't finish here are the 52 things you didn't finish that's going to be your starting list for tomorrow and that, but sinks in, it like sinks into your brain and sits there. So if you can replace that with a couple of good things, it's really powerful. And I would have never believed it. Absolutely. And to your earlier point, we first have to be open. We have to be open to the concepts and then we have to practice those concepts in order for them to start working. 
This is great. So now we're going to be moving into our rapid fire round. So let's get into our first question. What does leadership in law mean to you? I think when I think of leadership in law, I think of authenticity. I think of being a great mentor and being human centric, which seems like it should be simple because we're humans, but there's not enough of it out there. What is something that other lawyers seem to misunderstand about the work that you do? I think some lawyers still misunderstand thinking and talking and building in structures for mental health and well-being as like weakness or that's something you have to spend money on that there's no upside or it's laziness or, or that there's going to be like a worse work product or and I think I've done a lot of thinking about that it's just not true and I think that those are people that we have to people come at this from a lot of different angles and I understand that's one of the angles we have to tackle but there's a great business case for it that aligns perfectly with mental health and wellness and doing great business and making lots of money so I think that is a misconception and continues to be one yeah, I think for one, longevity of the people that work for you, right? If you're okay with people burning out after five to 10 years or not being able to produce at the level when they first started, it's a better business case if you try to help people along the way. They'll stay with you longer, they'll be loyal. But even if they leave, you're producing individuals that are healthy, that are going out into the world and are continuing to help others as well. Totally. Yeah, we talk about sustainability in so many different places and it fits here. There's lots of businesses that can throw off some cash burn out and burn down in two years. We see that a lot. But to build a sustainable business that delivers good value, you have to be more thoughtful about the culture. And this is a piece of it. What is one thing you would change about the legal industry? The most impactful thing I would change about the legal industry is to not move away completely from, but to look at things other than the billable hour and the book of business in terms of evaluating lawyers and leaders. I think that would be a huge move. I think that when you look at those two numbers in isolation, you miss a lot of really important things that should be rewarded and incentivized if we're going to build a real sustainable business. So I think that's the biggest change I would hope for. Do you have any examples of what those other things could be? I have a long list in my head, but I know we're rapid firing. I think things like how good a mentor, are you someone who like increases stress or decreases stress? you have a big book of business, but you're burning through everyone who works with you. So I think there are lots of things that, that we could look at. Those are some of them. Great examples. What is a piece of practical advice you can give to our listeners? These are leaders and future leaders in law. I think one piece of practical advice that I would give is to marry your leadership with something else that's bigger. The, the part that like feeds your soul. I think for a long time, I said, I really like intellectual property. It's interesting. But there's something else. And I think embracing that, I think it makes us better lawyers in the end. I think it makes us better leaders. And so I think like finding those other issues to jump into and cross-training is the advice I would give. Agreed. Reminding ourselves that we are not just our work. So last question, what do you do for self-care? Oh, I love to get outside. I try and feed other parts of my brain. Like I enjoy writing fiction, poetry, making space for that. And just spending time with my family. We have a very tight-knit family. Some might say very in-your-face, but I love my family. <laughs> my siblings are like my best friends. So just spending good quality time with people. Playing guitar is another good one. Those sorts of things. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. If anyone wanted to reach out, learn more about what you do, what's the best way they can reach you? I am on LinkedIn. I also have a page for Lawyering While Human on LinkedIn and other social media places like Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, it's law underscore while underscore human. 
Instagram, it's zen.mayhem. I also have a website, which is www.lawyeringwhilehuman.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you, leaders and future leaders, for listening today. We have a new guest every week, so don't forget to join us next week. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe or follow us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow at Lawyers Who Lead on social. Let's celebrate and continue to build a community of leaders in law together. Lawyers Who Lead is made possible by Lawline, the leading online platform for lawyers who want engaging, relevant CLE and professional growth content. For over 20 years, Lawline has helped hundreds of thousands of attorneys level up by providing award-winning courses in hard-to-find areas and high-demand fields. They have so many courses to choose from that are actually really interesting to listen to and watch. That's why Lawline's rated the highest in the industry, with almost five stars and over a thousand verified reviews on Trustpilot. Lawyers who lead listeners get $100 off Lawline's unlimited annual subscription, which means you can take as many courses as you want for a really good price. Just visit lawline.com slash podcast to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.